Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. to another episode of the good the bad and the hungi uh on the voices of wrestling podcasting network i'm your host tyler fornis and with me as always is my co-host fred morland and fred uh, how do you feel about gathering up a few billion dollars to buy wwe you know i left my wallet downstairs i'm sure i have at least 120 so um vince mcmahon i uh i formally offer to purchase wwe uh and all of its uh subsidiaries all of its intellectual property and all of its goods uh for twenty dollars um i look forward to your response thank you uh, insert patrick star meme i have three dollars uh, tyler please send that voice clip to uh, stanford for me and uh, i'll let you know what happens sounds good no but i think it's uh, creates a very interesting discussion talking about the potential sale of wwe and as we know a bunch of jabronis on wrestling twitter decided to report that the Saudis were officially buying the company. And we found out that while they have not come anywhere close to buying the company, they are interested among multiple sources. And one of those that is interested in buying the company is Tony and Shad Khan. Now they are very, very rich, but we are not talking about a normal type of rich. We're talking about Uber rich. We're talking about David Tepper buying the Carolina Panthers for $5 billion in straight cash that they're not that kind of rich. They are capital rich, not cash rich in this sense. And it's something that they would have to either partner with other investors or liquidate some of their assets in order to become cash rich enough to buy world wrestling entertainment. I think it's very interesting that the cons want to buy world wrestling entertainment, but I also think it's smart for anybody in the wrestling business that could potentially have enough cash to want to look into buying world wrestling entertainment because it is the global leader as far as distribution and um, uh, just gross um, sales and profit in the industry. It would be a massive benefit for literally anybody in wrestling to own World Wrestling Entertainment except for maybe Brett Lauderdale. And I, it would be good to see WWE be good again. And I think the interesting thing about the cons being interested, I want to throw this at you. I wonder if they're not even interested in buying World Wrestling Entertainment's intellectual property, but rather all the intellectual property and wrestling history that World Wrestling Entertainment knows to potentially make their own streaming service, like Mid-South, Texas, Florida, all the indies that were on the old WWE network that um, were just hidden gems for all of us and something that Tony Khan really loves, wrestling history, being able to utilize that and actually have 
a space to show it unclipped, I think would be a tremendous asset to wrestling. And I wonder if that might be the end goal for their explorations with buying world wrestling entertainment. Cause I feel like that would be incredibly feasible. Maybe let's throw out an arbitrary number. Maybe they pay a hundred million dollars to get the entire back catalog of non WWE wrestling. That's on the network. Feels like that could be one worth the money and two something that is incredibly feasible for what the cash flow is for the con family. Yeah, that's uh that's something there. There's a lot to consider here. Um, so basically, first of all, um, is money. Uh, Shad Khan looks like he has a net worth of about uh, eleven billion dollars, which is uh, a large number. Uh, several zeros after that eleven. Uh, but just for comparison, uh, the Saudi inve- or the Saudi uh, public investment fund has uh, ranked, or it appears to have, per this ArabNews.com article. Uh, a total amount of $620 billion, which is a much larger number. Um, so, you know, if if the cons are serious about trying to buy this, they would definitely, I think, have to team up with some people uh, to... They, they would be the majority owners, and they'd have some minority owners coming along for the ride, um, which is a viable option. Um, now, the... Um, the other thing to consider here is the cons would definitely have, and any minority owners would definitely be driven to get a profit off this. And that's not so much a concern with uh, the Saudi investment fund, I wouldn't think. They, you know, they, they're doing basically sports washing using uh, WWE, and that's been the, the big part of their deal ever since it started with them paying them $50 million a show uh, to essentially do propaganda on behalf of the country. Um, and so... With that, they, uh, you know, if they buy this to continue doing even more sports washing, the thing with it is that there's less of a motivation for profit because they're buying it for this explicit purpose. And as such, you know, maybe they don't they don't care so much about uh, profit if they have purchased it and taken it private. They don't have a real duty to uh, shareholders like you do with a public corporation. So they can just say, all right, we're taking a haircut on this per annual but uh you know it's gonna it's our attempt to make ourselves look more uh, palatable to people who don't like us um as for purchasing the tape library i wouldn't really hold my breath on that there's a possibility that they could have talks with whoever ends up purchasing it down the road uh, as a separate transaction but this doesn't seem like it's going to be a let's break up WWE and sell off parts as part of this deal. I think it's just going to be, here's the block. It's been sold. Vince stays in power because that's all he cares about. And uh, other than the money, obviously, um, but he gets to keep running the business and, you know, that is what's going to keep him happy. And um, yeah. Uh, am I ruling out the cons buying it? No, uh, I just don't think it's going to be a, uh, the most likely outcome. Uh, one other thing that I've seen floated around, um, and I've been talking so long, I forget if you said this now, Tyler, but another thing that's been floated is that perhaps the cons are showing interest so that they can look at the secret WWE books that will reveal all their secrets to them. Um, and I'm not sure that's really a thing that would happen in this circumstance. Uh, they're a publicly traded company, and uh, so a bunch of their information is already 
out in the open, it's just that it's all glommed together. Um, like, for example, they hide the Saudi payment in a certain byline on their report, or not byline, but an item line on their financial reports and fold it in with other things, but it's the, largely the Saudi money um, at that line. The thing with um, with that is I'm not sure how much information they get the right to look at if they are even serious buyers, or if they're even trying to pose as serious buyers just so they can look at those books. Uh, so I'm not sure how much of a, a real likelihood that's a game they're playing there is. But I don't know. It's a very interesting circumstance. I think it'd be great if uh, Tony Khan was able to purchase like the Dragon Gate USA and Evolve libraries and all the old territory libraries. Uh, I just would not really imagine that happening at all. <laughs> but yeah, I think one thing that w is really interesting about the idea of the cons actually looking at the books, um, for being that it's a publicly traded company. The one interesting thing for me here, Fred, is I think if you look at the books, you get to see all the salaries of all the wrestlers and then be able to compare them to what you are paying uh, the men and women on your roster and be able to offer smarter contracts. And I, I think when you talk about the books, those are the numbers that are the most interesting because I think with a publicly traded company, you're going to have, hey, there's going to be an X number for wrestler salaries on the books. But they may not actually be, go into excruciating detail, being like, "Hey, we're paying Roman Reigns X amount of money. We're paying like um, insert uh, NXT wrestler Cora Jade X amount of money, and then everybody in between." I don't think that they're doing that as far as their publicly traded information. So that would be one area where Tony Khan could get the leg up, and he could understand, "Oh, I lost out to WWE on signing X wrestler." Bronson Reed, because I'm I don't know for sure, but I would guess that Tony Khan would have interest in bringing in the former Jonah, because I mean, look at him. he kicks ass. So he'd be like, okay, let's say Jonah's being paid by WWE one million dollars. Well, I offered him. Let's throw out an arbitrary number again, say seven hundred fifty. Then you could really start to understand, hey, how am I valuing these guys versus how is WWE valuing them? And then I can make more competitive offers with X, Y, Z. Yada, yada, bing, bang. I think that is where Tony Khan can start to gain the advantage, especially if, let's say, WWE sells to a conglomerate corporation. Um, let's say they sell to Comcast. Just throwing another um, company out there. Comcast has experience in the wrestling business by airing WWE programming on both USA and NBC. And then the occasional sci-fi when, you know, um, other sports get in the way. Because of that, they they have like an, it's like getting getting an invitation to a birthday party, but you've never planned a birthday party. That's kind of where Comcast is in the wrestling business. They're involved, but they aren't involved. And if they were to purchase it, they're it's going to be similar to what happened at the end of WCW. You're going to have executives that are involved in wrestling that have probably never been involved in wrestling before but they understand the television side of it. How are they going to deal with contracts? How are they going to deal with um, merchandise, ticket sales, booking venues? Like those elements of it, I think are very intriguing. And it's kind of all a roundabout way of saying that I think it could be beneficial for Tony Khan to look at all that stuff. And it could be a huge benefit if one of those companies buys it 
and Vince McMahon doesn't stay in charge because they don't necessarily know what they're doing at the wrestling business. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I th- I don't know that they really need to peek in the books to know what people are being paid, though, because they can. I think that's pretty well. Uh, like, there's, you know, Meltzer has talked about like some numbers before. I think there's enough information out there where if you dig mm-hmm. into it, you if, you may not know down to like the penny, but you'll have at least a rough idea of like, okay, once you make the main roster, I think Meltzer has said you're making a quarter million dollars. And, uh, you know, go and there's several people on the main roster making at least seven figures. Um, and I think that's, uh, I, I don't know what um, benefit Khan really gets from, you know, like just, I mean, obviously, if you can, you look, that's one thing. But I don't know that it's going to be some big benefit for him to go, oh, uh, Randy Orton, I thought he was getting paid a million dollars a year, but he's actually getting paid 1.1. I mean, I just don't know that's like really going to change anything. Um, as for the wrestling executive, I mean, the TV executives over the wrestling company, um, there, I, I honestly believe that there's no way the sale is going to be completed without Vince McMahon going along on top for the ride. And the way Vince McMahon is looked at by investors currently, and I would have to assume this would carry over to whoever is the, uh, the person, you know, the, the buyer and their executives is going to be looked at as like the one guy who understands professional wrestling. And um, so he'll be kept long in charge for as long as he can uh, do it and doesn't piss anyone off and doesn't send WWE into a flaming crater of a hole, Um, which, you know, I mean, the booking can get bad sometimes with him. Um, The more interesting thing, I think, is consider that Vince is, what is he, 76? Is that right? I mean, he's old. Yes, he looked he looked rough at WrestleMania this year. He is currently uh, 77, 77. So you got a 77-year-old in charge of the business. Um, you know, how long is that going to last? Because of health? Because of uh, mental stability? Um, because of, uh, you know, maybe the network looks at it after, like Comcast buys it. After a year or two, they may be like, uh, you know, we're not super happy with these numbers. They could be better. We're going to have to make a change. Are they going to just let Vince stick around uh, in charge of everything, which I presume is what's going to happen uh, when he comes in? Or are they going to make a change? And if so, who at that point? Because, uh, you know, I guess there's like Paul Heyman you could go to, but there's Triple H. But like he, I I just have a feeling that he's going to be... Uh, be booted in the next couple weeks um, or maybe after the sale is complete but I, I just don't think he's long for the WWE corporate world no I don't think he is either and this whole thing is obviously going to continue to give us new information it's going to present different options and I think having discussions and figuring out hey what is this uh this company going to do and who is it going to end up being sold to? I I'm, I'm going to be honest. It's going to be one of the more fun things for us to uh, track over the next, however long, because it's a fascinating topic, but we, it is, it's, it's very interesting. It's the biggest news story in literally 20 years. Um, Mm -hmm. It's bigger than Vince resigning last year uh, just because it's not just his power play back into the company and taking over and enforcing uh, his will on it again. Um, Boy, there's a distasteful joke in there somewhere. Uh, But also um, 
you know, just the fact that they're selling this company that has been basically, you know, family owned for decades and they're going to sell it off for, uh, you know, uh, 10 figures, maybe 11. Um, my prediction, uh, if I, I'm just, this is just a guess. I don't have any inside information. And frankly, uh, your favorite wrestling reporter right now probably doesn't either um, at this point. <laughs> uh, but my prediction is that they're going to get sold to the Saudi uh, investment fund. Uh, I think they're just going to be motivated to spend more money than anyone else. Um, and my presumption is that it, when it comes down to uh, this decision, it's going to be who puts the most money on the table. Uh, and Saudi, the investment fund does not have to, ha it does not have as much of a profit motivation as uh, these corp, you know, the publicly traded companies do. The only group that I could possibly compare it to would be the cons because they would, I, I would assume, also be purchasing it and taking it private, but they have a fraction of the money that the investment fund has, uh, like a hundredth, literally, uh, roughly, you know, it's top of the head math. Um, so I just don't foresee them like ponying up the same number of billions for this company because it's not, you know, when you're rich, your money is not like kept in a Scrooge McDuck vault and you just fling the door open and go, all right, get me $7 billion of gold coins out of my money vault. <laughs> you, 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 you sell some stuff, and then you cut a check, um, very expensive check. So I just don't think that the cons can pull it off, but um you know, monopolies are bad for wrestling. And if the cons did purchase it, it'd be a short, you know, it'd be a monopoly uh, again, just like it was before AEW was formed. But, you know, for a couple months, it'd be a pretty funny monopoly. Um, I will at least give it credit for that. No, oh, it would be. Running. Oh, the Hungi cat has made Hungi. his appearance as yeah, he's done the run in. <laughs> Odie it does not have to do the run-in. He is sleeping on my feet right now as we record the show. And I am very excited to continue to talk about that one Odie who is going to get neutered on Monday, RIP his balls. Um, but I'm very excited to continue talking about AEW. So we're going to move on. Um, Dallas, Texas Magazine interviewed Sting recently. And Sting said he's retiring this year. Um, I don't know how much I buy it and I don't, I, I did not read the article, Fred, and I'm wondering if you have more context on it. Is this just from in ring or is this him removing himself permanently from the wrestling business and not even being on TV anymore? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I have not read the magazine. I just saw the note about it in the observer. Um, let me, I have it open right now. Um I don't outright see it. Um, yeah, I don't think he, it's like a formal announcement, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't see anything specifically when I just do a control F for retire on this article uh, indicating that he's going to, he's guaranteeing a retirement by the end of the year, but yeah. Hey, Thank God Tony Khan exists because we got damn near three and a half more years for four years out of sting in professional wrestling. And that is an incredible, incredible blessing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's gone a lot better than the 2015 run he's had. Um, 
and which was just kind of the way that that triple h match <laughs> it's one of the uh, the funniest ones to go back to from wrestlemania uh, 31 i think it was um where you know they just had a normal ass feud where sting was the crusading hero against the big heel triple, triple h and then the match was entirely rehashing the money knife wars for the five millionth time just so they could show that once and for all vince mcmahon won in case you forgot what a time to be alive <laughs> anyways i digress um yeah i don't know if he is retiring or not uh specifically but that is the report from Dave recapping this article that I have not read yet. Hey, you know what? I remember that match from WrestleMania 31. And in real time, as as just a mark, that was fun as hell. Oh, like, it was a it was a fun match. I mean, all the run-ins were done really well and everything, but it once you like think critically at all about the finish for a second, you're like, what the hell? You know, because there was no stakes on the line, there was no bell, there was no reason Sting should not have won to the heel. And then, and then Triple H cheated the entire match, and they shook hands afterwards. You know, true respect. <laughs> it was just Vince um, laying his dick on the table and being like, yeah. "Hey, I won, you lost." Like that's that's really all that was, and just an unfortunate way for Sting to have his first match go. And I wonder if there was any plans of doing a match the next year, because I, I don't remember if there was any reporting on that at the time. Because six months later. Sting broke his neck on a buckle bomb against Seth Rollins uh, in a WWE title match. And bada bing, bada boom, you all of a sudden, Sting's done. And he ended up healing up and obviously coming back to AEW. But there was more meat on the bone with his WWE run. And I wonder if there was any future plans for him outside of, you know, just keeping Seth Rollins away from actual main roster, like everyday talent. Yeah, um, Sting uh, has always wanted to work Undertaker, which has never happened and never will, unfortunately. Um, but I will just uh, my, my the first couple results when you search Sting WrestleMania 32 are uh, two articles from Bleacher Report about how Undertaker versus Sting and Mania 32 shouldn't happen. <laughs> so <laughs> Ryan Dilbert is not up for this shit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I guess not. Um, well, we won't we won't bury Ryan too much. He is he writes for the network on occasion. He's a, he's a good person. Oh, I don't have any beef with him. I was just just thought it was funny that like, especially when I thought the first article was like two days later, it was like it should happen, but no, it, it was just mm-hmm. also don't do it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, more news. Tony Khan says house shows are on the way. In an interview with In the Zone, there was no timeline given, but I think we all saw this coming. When they hired Jeff Jarrett, um, as, as I don't know what the exact title was, but it was something along the lines of a live events coordinator. I think that's right. Uh, I think that's actually and, what it was. And you know what? I'm not all for like doing house show loops and stuff, but I'll tell you, if you continue to do live rampages, and hey, we're gonna do a Friday night rampage. Oh, and then we're gonna do a Saturday house show nearby. I think that's tremendous. Get these young guys reps. Get top flight. Jade Cargill, get them doing a loop, get them doing consistent matches. Plus with how AEW is growing in popularity and obviously live events aren't necessarily doing the greatest right now, but if you get live events and like a or WWE had a list, B list and C list towns and up some of these smaller towns, like they're coming to you, Fred, here shortly in Lexington, Kentucky. That is correct. That, that's not an A list town, but they're going what? to an A list. 
They're they're going to an A-list arena in Rupp Arena, one of the biggest arenas in the United States. Like go to go to towns that you normally wouldn't hit. Go to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Go to Idaho. And yeah, like, and I, I have this theory that you hit these smaller markets and they aren't like right on top of the bigger markets. Mm-hmm. You'll draw very well, especially the first time. Um, because I we've definitely seen like a first go-round boost to AEW attendance whenever they go to a market the first time. And I have no reason to think that like, you know, uh, uh, Billings, Montana would not be the same, you know? Um, now I do wonder, um, I'm going to float a possibility of what this could be. You know, there's a possibility that they'll do like major or like not quite major cities, you know, um, as part of the house show thing. But I also wonder if they would consider doing something like the NXT house loop. Um, where it's a concentrated area, uh, just you know, they go up to around Atlanta, they go down to where the hell in Florida, uh, like a real territory, yeah, like an actual territory with their smaller, you know, with their on the up, uh, kind of people, you know, they're they're not putting like Darby Allen in these matches or the Bucks or whoever, but like they're setting Jade Cargill and Private Party and Top Flight and you know, various factory. Nightmare Factory, yeah. Um, the Gun Club. All these other, like, younger acts that could really use some more experience to, like, finalize what they are and to improve the games. Uh, I just wonder if that's, you know, a possibility that's on the table with them or not. I think that would be a great idea. And I don't... You could do a loop. You could do, like, hey, we're just going to do a second show in a town within a couple hours. And it doesn't have to be a tremendous set. You don't have to do a full AW set. Have, like... Like, uh, do you remember the G1 show in Dallas where it was like a super basic set with like one entrance? Do that. It doesn't yeah. have to be fancy. Like, uh, just and like another thing. Experience. Like WWE runs Corbin, Kentucky, which is a small town and like right along the border between Kentucky and Tennessee, about two hours south of Lexington. Um, it has a population under ten thousand. You know, I mean, they, they run it every year. Um, because I guess they get, you know, get enough attendance from it. Uh, just because a town's not big doesn't mean you can't run there. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm kind of hopeful that they're not just going to be like, oh, we're running a house show in New York in February. And then in June, we're going to Los Angeles. And then August, Houston. And those are our house shows. Like, this needs to be a learning opportunity because you have a lot of talent on your roster that needs more experience. You know, you can have Ricky Starks working actual main events night in, night out, uh, and that could give him a lot of experience. Um, you know, you could just go up and down the card. Like, Hook could be working as a main eventer. Um, you could be trying out different tag teams. You could have, uh, like, Hook work a little heel and see how that works out, or uh, Jack Perry work a little heel, uh, or whoever. You know, just kind of try out different things, and that's that's that would be the benefit from house shows, because it's not going to be a financial benefit. Uh, you know, WWE does not make money off of their house shows, and I don't think that you know, if AEW runs like a WWE style circuit, they're not going to. I would be surprised if they break even just because it's only ticket sales and merch. And uh, when you consider all the travel costs and the expenditures of putting up the sets and traveling with that and everything, it, you know, they'd probably be well to do a, get a push off that financially. But another thing is that, you know, you cannot get this kind of experience any other way. And I, I've been a proponent for a while of AEW using their money to uh, develop the next generation of stars. Uh, like another idea I've had is like to sign five pretty high level collegiate athletes 
uh, to $100,000 a year contracts just to like give them an incentive to go there instead of like a minor league sport um, and uh, give them a shot at wrestling. And if it doesn't work out after six months or a year, you can cut bait and then cast, you know, the next year. I think that's a great idea. Just a way to continue to get these guys more reps. And then the more reps they get, the better they are. And you don't have to use a lot of television time with some of these people too. And I think that can be a really big, uh, big thing. Plus you could get guys on rotating house show loops. Like, Hey, Hey Moxley, we need you to do it one month. And for one month, he'll do dynamite rampage in the house show. And then he'll get like three, four months off. Then, oh, hey, let's say January, it's Moxley. February, it's the Elite. And they're doing uh, a house show loop with uh, trios matches. Maybe it's with Death Triangle, it, uh, obviously being like a year. But yeah. do, do a house show loop, and that's the main event. Four straight matches. And then, oh, March comes around. Hey, Darby Allen. There you go. April, Hangman Page. Like you can make this work and you can utilize your big stars, but you don't have to utilize all of them. This roster is deep enough where you can maneuver. You can add different individuals. You can sub them in and out and you don't have guys completely worn out and you're not asking a ton of them. You're asking them, Hey, you're going to do rampage each. uh, Like they're going to continue doing live rampages. You do rampage this night. The next night we're going to go to a town two and a half hours away and you're going to do a house show and then you're going to fly home. And I think that that can be a very successful way to one, continue to get these guys ring time two make more money. Three, expose your product to even more people Mm -hmm. because on a Saturday night, Hey, we've got ticked like the whole AEW thing. When dynamite first started tickets starting at 20 bucks, you can do house shows, tickets starting at 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And you can sell your ringside seats and your like first few rows for a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. You can sell your box suites. But hey, you want to sit um in the like the last few rows? We'll give you $20 seats. Hell yeah. yeah. Get people in the building and let them watch. And you know what? You may take a little bit of a financial hit, but I think over time, the amount of reps you're going to give these young people, because you can just be like, hey, here's 15 minutes. Do whatever the hell you want. This is the finish. Hell yeah. Get, yeah. Let these guys call shit in the ring. If it's bad, who cares? Exactly. And, it's a house show. Yeah. And then you know what? If the opener sucks because they botched a few things, guess what? The main it's event a house is show. John, the main event is John Moxley versus Miro. Yeah. Uh, that's gonna kick ass. Like you can make things work. And I, I think that could be a net benefit. And because the travel would only be a couple hours and you're using a minimal set you're not exactly asking a lot financially from AEW either. You're going to rent the building. You're going to have a minimal travel cost because everybody's already going to be there. And you're not going to have a massive set. It's going to be a super basic production. Like WWE house shows are super basic productions. Unless it's like an MSG house show. Mm-hmm. Like You can really do a number and make this great. And I really hope that um, with the addition of Jeff Jarrett and this kind of being his calling card, uh, he learns from all the failures of TNA and tries to incorporate that and make this a real success. Yeah, hopefully. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's a, a great opportunity that they should be taking. It could really benefit uh, their company long term and they have the money where they can afford to invest this. Uh, you know, again, 
Yeah, and there's lots you can do with it. Like you're going to a uh, town, we'll just you know pair up and as part of it, do some outreach with your community service group there. You know, you could do um, something with the radio stations. You can do all these things that like hyper focus marketing on the small town and uh, can help things out. Yeah, I agree, and I'm very intrigued to see how how house shows look. Um, but they're not coming anytime soon. And speaking of a quasi house show, the Jericho Appreciation Society appeared at the Battle of Los Angeles, defeating Jonathan Gresham, Kevin Blackwood, Michael Oku, um, player Uno, and SB Kento in a five-on-five tag match. Um, this was a really, really cool spot because, one, uh, you have Chris Jericho just being Chris Jericho, showing up at BOLA, like just giving the fans a little bit of something extra without really doing anything. Like, th- this was just really cool. Obviously, you had, like, Chris Jericho against SB Kento. I think I I want to see that because I think... Ultimo I Dragon uh, trainee, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, and then the the biggest news out of BOLA, um, Speedball Mike Bailey ended up winning the tournament. He beat Kanosuke Takeshita in the final. But AEW's there with the camera crew and with Don Callis scouting Takeshita. So uh, we've kind of opined a little bit about Callis moving on from Kenny Omega because I, I just think the elite are going to be baby faces for a while and Callis doesn't necessarily fit that mold, but you can utilize Callis in a huge way to boost the profile of somebody else. And I think Takeshita could be the perfect foil for him to help rise his level in AEW because the wrestling we know is already there. It's oh, about yeah. bringing the whole package there. Callis could be the missing piece. It could be. Uh, and there's a lot you could do here. Storyline with Callus as the heel and uh, Takeshita as the baby face kind of being misled for a while. You have the connection between Omega and Takeshita where they've both worked in DDT. And I think they've worked opposite each other opposite each other once um, in a big match there. Um, if I'm not, I think it was just once. Um, but you could definitely do uh, a line there between those two and use that as a basis of a storyline. Um, you know, I think they're definitely working on setting something up for Takeshita. Uh, and I think we may see like the first proper steps of that in the near future, next couple weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have to know what they have with Takeshita. It's just a matter of finding the right spot to use them in. And I have confidence that they're going to do that relatively soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Frankie Kazarian has signed with impact. And I thought this was really cool. Something um, that was shared earlier today in our office Slack. I'm going to pull that up and I'm going to read it. Essentially, um, no, this, sorry, it was last night, so I got to scroll back a little bit. But basically, um, this is from Mike Johnson. Um, Frankie Kazarian announced during Impact Wrestling's Hard to Kill that he signed a new long-term contract with the promotion. During the promo, uh, Kazarian stated that after uh, wrestling for Impact, he had decided to remain... Um, he had decided rather to remain complacent and be with people he thought were his friends or push himself, and he chose to push himself. The word backstage at the pay-per-views that Kazarian pretty much told the truth about what happened. Um, we are told after his 40-plus minute mat- minute match with Josh Alexander, Kazarian asked to be released, and it was granted. We are told it was completely amicable situation based around Kazarian wanting to push himself harder as he's getting close to the latter point of his career, and that an impact, he'd have a chance to be more in the mix that he'd likely be given the opportunity to do so in AEW, given how massive the company's roster is. We are told Kazarian, quote, did business the right way, unquote, and will be welcomed back into their locker room anytime. But going forward, he's with impact. This is great for everybody. 
Kazarian was doing 10% of jack shit with AEW. And while he's an original and he did some really cool stuff with the company, I'm really excited to see his impact work because he wants to wrestle and he's given opportunities to do so. Yeah, and he's had a ton of good matches in uh, Impact this year. Uh, he had that world title match on one of their not-quite-pay-per-views against Josh Alexander. Had a really good Impact match with Chris Saban uh, back in June. And uh, back in October had a, a very good match with Mike Bailey where he won the X Division Championship uh, in October. Um, uh, yeah, Kazarian, I think, uh, fits in really well with what's imp- what Impact is doing right now. I hope he's getting paid pretty well. Um but yeah, this feels like creatively at least a fantastic move for him. Um, he's he already fits in really well in that roster. He's a great worker. He has the legacy there as like coming in so early in the company's history and being that through line to modern day impact, which is always nice to have. And um, it's cool. I'm happy for him. Yeah, uh, I am too because uh, Kazarian um circa like 2009 was one of my favorites to watch in the ring just uh, doing all kinds of fun stuff speaking of contracts though fight for reports jay white's contract is coming due um melzer said that jay white uh, was under contract for seven more years back in 2018 that means that uh he was about two years off but that also doesn't necessarily mean that this was a seven-year contract but there was an option an opt-out after certain points. And it's very common to see that in a lot of different um, sports where you, know, you can have an opt out after a certain amount of time, because, Hey, things change and an opt out after five years makes a ton of sense. So Meltzer could have still been right. Um, even though his contract is coming due. And I think Jay white is bound for America. We've heard a lot of rumors that he wants to be here. He lives in Tampa, Florida, like a lot of professional wrestlers do. I don't know if he'd go to AEW or if he'd go to WWE, but I think he would be tremendously successful in American television wrestling because of what his style is, how he's an incredible promo. And I think his style of wrestling would translates a lot better to the television style than it does with kind of the free form style of new Japan. Uh, I, yeah, I think, uh, this God, it feels like it's the third straight year of the Jay White's a free agent. Where could he go? A uh, story dominating the news in January. Um, and frankly, I just hope that we don't have to deal with that again. That's <laughs> a little tiring. Uh, we'll see what he does if this is actual free agency because he does have a loser leaves town match coming up with Hikaleo. Um, and of course, there's also been reports recently that Hikaleo is uh, getting interest from WWE and that they might pick him up. So the question is who is actually uh, leaving the company and, uh, you know, which of these is just. Because it's, it's pres- I presume that you know one of these guys is sticking with New Japan for at least another year, and that this uh, part of these stories are um, storylines that you know is getting fed to Fightful or whoever else. Um, we'll see. Uh, now I understand in theory how Jay White feels like he could be a great TV, uh, American TV wrestling guy. I will say that his time at Impact last year was very mediocre i thought it was really disappointing compared to the heights he's reached in new japan um Mm -hmm. so i don't know man i mean i'd love to say i'm hyped up for this uh but i you know it's not a it's not a guarantee uh i i mean he's good enough where he should succeed but there's the question of uh you know once he gets there if everything's going to go well whether it be wwe or AEW. 
or yeah, if he still yeah. stays in if he stays in New Japan, we know what he's going to be, which is an upper card guy that has preferably twenty five or thirty minute matches. His preference, I'm sure, uh, with a <laughs> always a really cool uh, finishing sequence. But oh yeah, um, I also don't think it was a mistake that. Uh, the Blade Runner was kicked out of for only the second time, and that ended up being Kazuchika Okada in their main event at Wrestle Kingdom 17. Um, to me, that that's even more of a signal that he's going to leave the company because he left. They left that move unprotected when they they didn't have to. They mm-hmm. could have protected it, and they let Okada kick out of it. Obviously, Abushi kicked out of it for the first time. Um, I believe it was the double gold dash um, where Abushi ended up um, beating Jay White. Um, and they they could have avoided that, but they didn't. And I think that's to to me, it's just another sign that he's leaving. Yeah. Um, if I had to guess, I would guess Jay White's leaving. But you know, I, again, that I don't have any useful information. I'm just guessing here. You know, I, I don't know anyone. I uh, once DM'd uh, Ian Riccoboni to ask about basketball cards. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Rich will love that my, story. My scoops. Yeah. Um, continuing on with the news, CM Punk has been removed from the Fight Forever cover. He responded to MJF's Instagram post with his name taped over Punk's on PWI Ward. Um, and Punk said, maybe you should tape over the ratings too. Um, look, it's not AEW's fault. People are watching less TV overall. They are consistently in the top five. And hey, listen, Punk, that you blew all of this yourself by being a, a fucking asshole. And deciding to go scorched earth at, at, at a company press conference. This is this is your fault. Shut up. Um, like obviously, it makes sense he's removed from the fight forever cover, but it's one more step to show that he's probably not coming back anytime soon. Uh baby. <laughs> I I wouldn't read too much into this. I think it's just him. It could very easily, I should say, just be him screwing around on social media. That doesn't matter. Um you know, when it comes down to it, it's it's money that talks. Um, and uh, if, you know, if he can be happy enough there and if the uh, elite can be happy enough there uh, with him there and everybody can, you know, just be happy together, I would not be shocked if they uh, come back together to work again in the future. Is that likely to happen? Honestly, I'd have to say it's like a 50-50 proposition at this point in time to me. Uh, I think everyone involved to some extent can hold a grudge and um, you know, I, it's not just the elite. I am, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of people in the locker room that are, would be very happy if CM Punk never showed up again. Uh, if I recall what Joe Lanza said about the subject before from the, his understanding of things it's the veterans that may have worked with uh, punk before that are especially tired of him while the younger members of the locker room just kind of want him around to, so that it can benefit everyone. Um, yeah, but it's just very silly at this point. It's a non, you know, we get these little blasts of information and people perk up because they think it's a return of a story and it's, you know, like not really, it doesn't really affect anything going forward. I don't think. Yeah. Um, it is what it is. Um, ring of honor, super card of honor will continue to happen over WrestleMania weekend, at least in the year of 2023 that will be on March 31st in Los Angeles. And the interesting word from Tony Khan, they will be working with international companies. Now, does that mean that they will be continuing to bring in some AAA talent, which they have done so in the past? 
Obviously, you, you've had um, Roosh and Dragon Lee be huge proponents um, and elements in Ring of Honor over the past few years. Could that also mean New Japan? We know New Japan Strong is going to be folding and becoming something different here moving forward. Is that going to be because the, the relationship has strengthened with Ring of Honor, where it's going to kind of be merge and be almost like a super show? Um, there's so many different elements to this, but I think it, it was very notable that he said working with international companies. And I'm very curious to see how that ends up. Yeah. I mean, it's very intriguing. Uh, will it be some people coming over from DDT? I mean, they have so many connections at this point that, uh, you, you know, you could say, I mean, CMLL would be a possibility if they don't have anyone from AAA on the show because of the connection via new Japan. Uh, and there's re- there's reports that at least for now AEW and AAA are not actively working together. Um, could it be uh, Stardom or Tokyo Joshi Pro or smaller uh, Joshi companies? Will we get like Ryo Mizunami back again? Um, will we get um, some you know Vaney? I'd like I'd love to see Vaney back. Uh, I think she's a fantastic, absolutely top tier wrestler. Uh, who I actually I barely saw any of last year. I'm going to have to actively hunt out her stuff. Uh, but she's she's a great talent. Um, you know, they, they had some really great uh, workers in that. Um, uh, the women's, uh, the Japanese side of the women's eliminator. Uh, God, I think it's two years ago now. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, I, I think that they could really do some cool stuff. Um, and if they were able to turn this into like a international all-star game, you know, I think that'd be a really awesome experience. Um, but, you know, like ROH versus the world or something. But we'll see. Uh, fingers crossed that it's, you know, cool. But, you know, I, I'm sure at a minimum it'll be like, you know, uh, New Japan talent. And uh, we'll see from there. No, I think it's it's good that you're working with international companies. Obviously, Tony Khan has had a good relationship with a lot of different companies. Um, I'm very interested to see, because like, it feels like AAA is now done with Tony Khan, especially with um, the growing relationship um, that's evolved with CMLL, New Japan. Um, obviously, and AAA I think, trying hard for uh, WWE's love. Man, uh, imagine uh, trying to be the redheaded stepchild of WWE. I it could not be me. There's um, already several of those progress also. in the in the family. <laughs> Shane, Shane. <laughs> yes, there are. Um, moving forward, FTR Bald, aka Dax Harwood, said on his podcast that FTR has been giving several months off by Tony Khan. And considering how they basically carried Ring of Honor over the course of the summer, it's probably a good idea. They worked their tails off in the year of 2022. And be given a little bit of time off is probably a good thing, one, for them. And two, not just for them physically, but also for them as a whole. Because at a certain point, you get stale and you and you get kind of like fans get kind of tired of you per se it's one of the benefits of cycling acts in and out just look at the response adam cole got obviously he was out for six months due to a concussion but a good thing to keep acts coming in and out because it keeps them fresh it keeps fans fresh and it you're you don't get stale and i think that's a big thing um i'm excited for them both personally and professionally dude go touch grass for a little bit have fun Yes, <laughs> I don't have much to say <laughs> beyond that. But All right, yeah, well, I, I mean, I think FTR has had a great year. They really killed themselves in that, um, especially Dax in that uh, that 
uh, match with the Briscoes in December. Uh, they deserve some time off. Yes, they absolutely do. Let's continue on. A couple injury notes. Um, Nick Jackson broke a toe early in the best of seven series. Um, look, had no idea. Good good for him for being able to gut it out. Um, Rosario Grio, I believe I pronounced that right, is having leg and ankle surgery after in, um, his injuries on Rampage. He fractured both ankles, tore ligaments in one of them. Woof. What a yeah. bad break for him. And then it's Kyle O'Reilly is – yeah. Kyle O'Reilly is still dealing with um, issues from the aftermath of neck surgery. And we know he had neck fusion surgery this summer. Um, not shocked that he's dealing with um, continued issues with that, but it's unfortunate. Hopefully those get cleared up and he can get healthier faster. Yeah. Um, you know, neck surgery is always scary. Anything along the spinal column is a, you know, it's a, that's a tough surgery. Uh, hopefully he'll continue recovering and everything will be well with him. Uh, I think uh, Rosario is, I think often the driver for the young bucks to and from events. Um, so I recall actually on one of their BTEs I had on in the background that they were talking about how they had to drive for themselves in the snow a couple weeks ago because he tore up his leg on that taping. So um, I think it was actually a dark taping rather than rampage proper, if I recall correctly. But uh, yeah, so um, yeah, hopefully he gets better uh, soon as well, and that uh, I'm sure that Tony Khan will help him out with the medical bills. But uh, he he should morally be doing that. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm guessing he is. Um, I believe Fred. That is it for the news. Now we can get on to talking about these really, really good shows, Dynamite and Rampage. What were your overarching thoughts of the two? I think there's an argument, uh, and I, I haven't like sat down and thought about this, haven't done any comparisons side-by-side side or anything, but this could have been the best week of TV in the history of AEW. Um, I thought Rampage was a very good show this week. It wasn't an all-time or anything, but it was like a 6 or 7 out of 10, and I thought that this Dynamite was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, it had a couple flaws, which I wrote about in my weekly column, uh, also called The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry on Voices of Wrestling, where I reviewed it. Uh, but I thought overall, this this you know Dynamite in, partic- Dynamite in particular just slapped. I thought it was just fantastic. Um, I can't gush about it enough. Yeah, uh, Dynamite was tremendous. I unfortunately was not able to watch most of it live. Um, I'm finally better from COVID. Yeah, so you sound a lot I, better. I, I I really do. Oh, Fred, you should you should go back and watch my YouTube show for Monday night. I had to call. Oh God, it I can only imagine. It, Fred, it was bad. It was rough. It was probably the worst audio I've ever done. And people were people still enjoyed it and thought it was good. So I'm like, I, I was my brain was so foggy. I was just like. Uh, I spent, I think, at one point, ten seconds trying to remember one word. It was, it was rough. Um, but that I, sounds I'm like me on every episode. <laughs> yeah, you're not that bad. Um, let's get to talking about these shows. Um, listen, I, this was tremendous. We started off Hangman Page versus John Moxley, and we've continued to see the trend. And obviously, they always like to start with a hot opener, but they're not just starting with hot openers recently. They're starting with big openers mm-hmm. to try and draw fans in from the lead in and i it worked this week because the rating was i think nine hundred and thirty six thousand with a 0.33 in the demo something along those lines yeah i think it was um, the number three show it was that right i didn't i didn't yep. put it in the notes because why would i do that but i think it was only behind um the nba which is a big win nba yeah. on espn is a huge draw every single week um now 
what I really liked about this, they just beat the ever living shit out of each other. And, oh, this was intense, yeah. And I think the best part was um, not uh, you get uh, Paige hitting the dead eye and then the block shot Larry for the win, but then Moxley sold a concussion. And I think this is tremendous. One, it builds off of a shoot concussion that Adam Page got. Perfect for the storyline. You're building up another match too. Hey, Moxley finally gets his damn vacation he's been waiting four months for. And three, you you get Hangman Page the win, and it continues to build this feud. John Moxley has only been pinned a handful of times. I think this is the sixth time that Moxley has officially been pinned in this company, which is very noteworthy. And you continue to grow this rivalry. No, to my knowledge, Moxley isn't actually hurt, but it all all blends in perfectly with story. This is this is great taking a, an unfortunate situation and building off of it with something storyline wise. This is this is turning chicken salad into chicken shit. Other Sorry, way around. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, I had COVID all week. Chicken shit into chicken salad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was a fantastic match. Uh, one of my favorite little things from this match, uh, was, uh, Paige bringing back the spin cell, uh, on the, uh, on a lariat with, uh, like they recreated the, the concussion spot pretty early in the match. Um, and Paige was able to fight back from that, but I thought that was a cool callback. Um, I, I like this match a lot. I went four and a quarter stars on it. Um, I also like the uh, the note of Moxley doing a callback to the Shield days and doing a, a curb stomp late, uh, calling upon you know the Seth Rollins partnership. Of course, um, I, I just thought this was a great hard hitting match, uh, and I thought it did a really nice job setting up for uh, another match in the future, possibly at a Revolution. Uh, but I like this a lot. Uh, it was look. It was absolutely tremendous. Um, I gave it. I gave it four and a quarter. Um, I don't know if it's going to make my dynamite. My running dynamite doesn't um, because there were a couple other match. There's one other match on the show that's already in the top three of my running dynamite doesn't. But this was this was excellent. And then it led into what we thought was going to be MJF as Tony Schiavone was in the ring, but then it turned out to be Adam Cole, and hey, he babe. gets a he gets a rousing, rousing reaction from the Los Angeles crowd and then delivers a promo. Uh, really heartfelt describing the difficulties ha- he had with with his back-to-back concussions and the struggles, and then he finishes it off um, that it's bad news for the AEW locker room, not for him, that he's back and not going anywhere, um, thought his career was over, and he's, uh, he finished it off, remember this day, this is the day when a new Adam Cole is born. Adam Cole will make a promise. One day, no matter how long it takes, one man will be at the top of his mountain, and his name is Adam Cole, baby. Um, look, this is a great way to, one, you give the crowd a surprise. Two, you have a loaded show with another memorable moment, which is when you put your best foot forward, this is the kind of stuff you want to do. Yeah. And, and three, I thought it was excellent, an excellent promo by Adam Cole being real. It turned him babyface, which obviously you wanted to do um, the elite versus um, that Adam Cole and Red Dragon, but you can't do that right now for many, many reasons. Yeah, one of you can't have him as a heel right now. You, you can't. can't. 
and you you brought him back. He's a baby face. The fans wanted him back. They love that he's back. And this promo confirmed that he's going to be babyface for quite a while. And I'm in, very intrigued to see the direction they take with him. Yeah, and even if it's just for like a, a couple months, you know, you, I, they decide to turn him heel after that. Uh, like he has to come back as a babyface. He was out too long. It was too serious of an injury, and it was, uh, you know, it's just very self defeating to try to swing upstream and have him be a heel from day one. Maybe they'll have him turn heel around Revolution. Maybe they'll wait till later in the year. Maybe they just don't have plans for him to be a heel right now, uh, anytime soon. And uh, that's all good. I actually thought this was like the best promo of his AEW career. Um, I thought he came off like a superstar. The crowd loves him. He got a huge pop coming out, got a great response throughout the promo, except for the one guy who decided he uh, had drank enough this early in the show. Like it was 530, man. Take it easy. Uh, but he's trying to be the, the Brutus Beefcake fan. Uh, if you remember, Brutus Beefcake's uh, return to Raw, like on the fifth episode or whatever. Um and uh, yeah, the, this was just a home run of a segment, and it continued a home run of the show. Jungle Hook, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, and FTW Champion Hook versus the firms Lee Moriarty and the greatest name in professional wrestling right now, Big Bill um, William Morrissey, also known to most people as Big Kaz. Look, this was fun. This was exactly what it was meant to be. None of these guys are truly tremendous pro wrestlers, at least at this point. There is still a lot of hope for um, everybody not named Big Bill. And Big Bill's already a tremendous big man and knows exactly how to work as a big man. Yeah, Big and, Bill's very good at being Big Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knows I, I, don't he need, I don't need Big Bill dropping, uh, doing drop toe holds and, you know, working on the the arm ringer for a two-minute teeth segment, you know. <laughs> Like he he knows what he does and he is very good at it right now. So oh yeah, Big Bill is great at being Big Bill, and that's exactly what you wanted here. He they teased the the T bone from Hook, and then Hook got the T bone to a um, loud reaction, and it was honestly the spot of the match. You had it finished with um, Jungle Boy getting Lee Moriarty with the snare trap, which is one of my favorite submission holds it's in a good all of professional wrestling. Um, look, this is fun. And I know they kept advertising jungle hook as one night only one night only with what the ratings look like in the quarter hours, and the minute by minutes and how well received this team was and how well they worked together. They may have something and might want to continue this. I don't know if that's going to be in their plans, um, but I think it could be a tremendous way to continue getting hook on TV not overexpose him because he's in a tag team with a very capable worker in Jungle Boy. And this tag team division, we've been talking about it for weeks, is pretty thin, especially now that FTR is going to be out for several months with a little bit of a vacation. Like You're talking about the Acclaim versus the Guns as the program right now. You need fresh blood, and this would be a great way to continue getting fresh blood in there. I think the Guns and the Acclaimed are a good like, pre-pay-per-view you know, storyline, so I'm okay with that. But, but this I think- is... This was a company that was built around oh, yeah. tag teams, though. You want to have tag teams in this company. That, like, the, when this company started, there was a lot of tag teams. There were also a lot of trios too, which is why we now have trios titles. But this is a tag team promotion. Oh, and I, right I, now there is not a surplus of tag teams. I don't know why you're yelling at me. I agree. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, they could definitely use them. I think that they're perfectly cast for, like, the Rock and Roll Express-style mode where uh, Jungle Boy, Jack Berry, is the guy that sells a lot, and then Hook is the guy that gets tagged in for the hot tag. And I think the two of them are perfectly complementary for each other. They're uh, a great young babyface team. I think they can have, like, that Hardys effect, you know, from, like, the late 90s where... um they come out and you just hear very high pitched screams as they make their entrance. I think that they could be very appealing to the uh, to members of the female, you know women audience um, and could be a draw with them in particular. And I think that there's some juice here. I think they should give it a longer run, um, and it would give them both direction. And I think that's uh, very good for them right now. Uh, also, I want to put over Lee Moriarty in this match. Uh, I thought he worked really well here. Um, yeah, he he was really doing the heavy lifting for the heels in terms of the in ring, and I thought he thought he worked well with both Hook and uh, Perry, and uh, put together a very solid match. And also, uh, Big Bill needs to be given credit specifically for the big uh, sell, the T bone suplex by Hook after the Jack Perry uh, missile drop kick, where you know they were, the whole the storyline of the match was basically Hook going for that on him and not being able to get him over, but then Hook was finally able to. And uh, Big Bill did a wonderful job of selling that as a, a big deal. Uh, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited to see the, the trajectory of Lee Moriarty specifically. Um, we know that Tony Khan thinks Jungle Boy is a true pillar of this promotion. And we know that Hook is probably, he's a project, but he might be the most over person in the building week in and week out when he's on TV. Fans just love Hook, and it's it's pretty easy to see why. Um, let's continue on. This was one of my favorite segments of in AEW history. First, MJF comes out um, after Takesha and cuts a promo on Takesha, calling him Takeshita, which is just the low-hanging fruit. And we obviously know the gimmick that uh, MJF is doing. He's doing kind of an anti-AEW gimmick with the pending free agency of 2024 and really leaning into the types that AEW fans don't like, the Cornets of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's working. It's great. And then Takesha um, just speaks to him in clean, perfect English. Um, I'll kick your ass. Yeah. I, I spoke to Takesha at an indie event. Dude can speak English. That's not an issue for him. So, But MJF obviously just going for every piece of low-hanging fruit possible. And uh, one of my favorite things was you had MJF pick out Ken Jong and Freddie Prince Jr., and we know Prince Jr. was going to start his own wrestling um, organization. And he ripped on Ken Jong for the fact that he had a failed uh, sitcom on ABC. And then Freddie Prince Jr. called the Scooby-Dooby douchebag, which, <laughs> listen, it may not be very clever or good. I thought it was one of the funniest things MJF has ever said, and I, I absolutely loved it. Um, but then... Um, he gets run out of the ring by uh, Takeshita and Brian Danielson comes out and these two kick the living shit out of each other and have a tremendous match. This match owned. Oh, it owned. And um, there's a lot of talk coming out of this match, Fred, and I want your opinion on it. Takeshita doesn't win. He does not win on Dynamite. He does not win on Rampage. And he does not beat any of the big names he faces, despite I don't think he's ever delivered under a four-star match against any of his opponents, um, given a big stage. How concerned are you about this? I'm not. It's a storyline at this point. Um, you know, I, they're they're 
you know, it's been teased enough with uh, Don Callis showing up at his matches and uh, with him going to his matches over the PWG Bolo weekend with a AEW camera crew with him that it's readily apparent um, that they're, they're going to set up a storyline. And we already talked about this some, but I have negative concern about this. This is, they're going to do a storyline based around him pairing up with Don Callis and starting to win, and he's going to get pushed, and it's going to be awesome. Um, I just don't, you know, I think once once he got signed and once they started having Don Callis show interest in him, it became clear that he was not just going to be a guy who can work fantastic matches and hang with the top stars but lose, but it's apparent that he is going to get uh, pushed to, I would imagine, a decent bit uh, over this coming year. So I think anybody who's concerned about that, I, I would advise you to just take a chill pill, wait a few months, uh, and see where he is in, let's say, April, because I think he's going to be in a very different position by then. Yeah, he probably will be, and especially um, the Don Callis stuff. I think that's probably going to be the catalyst to his push, um, and I think they're going to be waiting for his push for a little bit. I would not be surprised if we see a Takeshita um, world title challenge at either double or nothing or all out um, as far as continuing to build him up. Cause he is an AEW guy. He's not a DDT guy anymore. He lives in America. He is an AEW contracted wrestler. And I think they're going to continue to treat him as such. And that is why I think the push is coming. Um, just overall, like this show is just kicking so much ass. Um, then you had Renee Paquette with juice Robinson. Um, and he challenges Darby Allen for Rampage, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. I'm here to kick gas, take names, and win championships along the way. Um, so Darby Allen, you want to open challenge? I'm going to challenge you to match this Friday on Rampage. Let's see how t- if you're as tough as you think you are. But my favorite is he just looks at, um, at Renee Paquette and he's like, rock hard. Sorry, what a- I, I scared my dog. <laughs> um, what, but, uh, what, what a great catchphrase. Oh, Brockhart is so good, especially considering he's just a, like a Western shit bag. And you could you could see the the Levi patch on the back of his jeans when he wrestles. It's the whole thing's just tremendous. Um, but then you had um the Mercedes Monet offer match, AEW Women's World Champion, Jamie Hayter and Dr. Britt Baker DMD with Rebel on the outside, defeat Soraya and Tony Storm. And this match was good, yeah. I will say. AEW does a great job booking women when it comes to tag team wrestling. They really do. Mm-hmm. They understand how to how to book tag teams. They understand what's good with their women, and they understand how to make the chemistry work. And I think nobody gets overexposed, which has been a problem with the women's division, not necessarily having a lot of top-end talent. This is the top-end talent in the women's division right they now. Figured they figured it out. all performed well. And we continue the story, um, obviously, last week. Soraya said that Tony Storm is the best wrestler in the division, picked her literally right in front of Hikaru Shida. So Shida throws the kendo stick to Tony Storm, but it was blatantly uh, to in the middle. So Jamie Hayter could grab it. And actually, Britt Baker grabbed it. And then continued their storyline by cheating once again. Mm-hmm. And then um, Jamie Hayter hit her version of the Rainmaker. I, I, don't, I can't remember what she calls it. The Haterade, um, I believe. The haterade, yes. Oh God, that's tremendous. Um, yeah. my, look, my, look wife, being... my my wife was watching with me, and she was like, "I love that name." So. Oh, it's um, it's it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, but it continued multiple stories. 
Um, now you have Sheeta beginning her heel turn. Um, that she's obviously going to have to answer for the kendo stick, and we'll see how that turns along. And then um, Britt Baker cheated again um, without Jamie Hader knowing, and now that continues that storyline because Hader does not want to cheat, and it continues to happen. So we get multiple storylines continued there, and of course, um, Rebel just looked hot on the outside as she always does. That real, real milf energy from her. Always a fan. Uh, yeah, I like this match a lot. I thought it was really good. Um, I thought Soraya looked the best she has in ring. Of course, she, this is what her second match, so that's not saying much. But I thought she looked noticeably better than her last outing. Um, and I mean, the other three women in the ring are like three of their, I don't know, top five or six uh, in ring women workers. Uh, so. You know, this was scripted, you know, put together really well, scripted, however you want to put it. And uh, I thought it was like three and three quarters. Uh, very enjoyable match. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Um, and then uh, we get the Jericho Appreciation Society coming out um, and cutting promos. And this was a very weird segment. We had already had announced that Ricky Starks was going to face Jake Hader next week on Dynamite. But he made a challenge to Hager. And Action Andretti... Looked like an absolute jabron because he's just not there with mic work. Talking when you have guys like Ricky Starks, Chris Jericho, 2.0, Daniel Garcia, all of whom are good to tremendous talkers. And Andretti, he kind of looked like an AI bot with how he was speaking compared to the rest of them. They could have delivered this so much better. I'll be honest. I thought uh, the uh, action Andretti did better than uh than you're describing it at least i'm not going to say like it was a promo of the year contender or anything but i thought it was a respectable outing for someone who doesn't have much experience with it uh i thought his material was kind of weak i thought it felt very much like a generic uh 1998 uh kind of promo that just doesn't wasn't good wasn't particularly great by any stretch but it wasn't you know a disaster at the same time uh i i this was a weird segment, uh, but there's some stuff in it that I like a lot. Um, Daniel Garcia telling, I forget if it was Starks or Action Andretti at this point, but telling one of them, I remember when I was young like you, uh, was, just cracked me up a lot. Uh, man, Daniel Garcia is going to be a superstar. It's just a matter of time. Um, and uh, there is some good stuff in this, but I, I felt like this was definitely the weakest pro- segment of their program. So, mm-hmm. you know, not fantastic, but fine yeah the, i wish this would have would have been delivered a whole lot better but um there were good elements as you said um and then finally escalera de la muerte to world good trios Lord. championship match um i gave this four and three quarters i i saw people throwing around five stars yourself included yep i could not go there but man was this great um uh, the finish is what really uh, did it for me. Um, Omega delivers a one-winged angel off of a ladder wedged between the ropes and another ladder. So it, basically an avalanche one-winged angel. And then Pack tries to hit a um, a black arrow. Um, Omega gets his knees up, and then he's able to scurry up the ladders and get the belt. It, you, w- I think what really held it back for me is Omega couldn't like, struggled getting the belt. Um, but this match was filled with tremendous spots. Omega still had the shiner from Wrestle Kingdom. He comes out with the IWGP US title. 
And I think one of the really fun things about this match was it, you never would have known um, that he uh, he had wrestled in Wrestle Kingdom. But let, let's just um, go through some of these spots as, uh, Fred, you just sent this to me. Yeah, so, um, so I've started typing my notes rather than writing them in a notebook. And uh, when something is particu- particularly crazy, I, I put it in all caps when I'm typing. And uh, as you can see, the vast majority of this match was just all caps. Uh, there was just too much crazy stuff in this for me to not give it five stars. I thought everybody did just fantastic stuff. And I thought it was a really satisfying blow off to this match. Um, you know, Kenny doing Kenny nearly killing himself like minutes into the match by doing a, a Tope Kanahiro to the floor, going through a table because he missed it. Uh, that was wild. Um, you know, Pac countering a one winged angel with a poison Rana. You know, there's just so much cool stuff in this match. And, and like, I, I get this not being a unanimous five star match. I, I totally do because. It wasn't like I, I still, you know, for for example, the um, the Escalera de Muerte match a few years ago with the Young Bucks and Lucha Bros uh, was much better uh, at the pay per view. But this was, I thought, just a fantastic outing and just a blast to watch. Um, and, and the idea that you know on weekly TV you're getting a, a card, in particular this card with these matches where the weakest one is a very good tag match between jungle, you know, jungle hook and uh, the firm. And uh, you have this and Danielson and Takeshita and you have Adam page and John Moxley all in the same show. You have a really good women's tag match on top of that too. This is not something that has ever happened in American wrestling history in terms of weekly TV, like this kind of match quality. It's insane um this was like not just a pay-per-view quality card but like a top 50 all-time pay-per-view quality card and that's me being like conservative with the number uh it was just an all-timer uh just how good these matches were on free yeah TV. yeah it's we're truly blessed and it's so hard to complain about this company in general but obviously our job is to try and critique it for what it is. And oh, and there's things to critique on this show. You oh, know, one yeah. thing we didn't talk about is, is specifically too much is the Mercedes Monet uh, non-debut, which I thought was a, a misstep because of one line in a Brooke Baker promo a couple weeks ago where, you know, they're, they're setting up this mystery match, uh, mystery partner match, and Britt drops the I'm the boss line, like very intentionally towards the camera while saying it, looking towards the camera while saying it. And it's obvious that like this is a hint towards something. And given how AEW's done this style of debut so many times before, um, where they just hint at it without telling you outright that CM Punk's coming or uh, you know all these other names that they've hinted at, but just did not outright say we're coming. The surprises, surprises is the preferred AEW form of debut. They don't do like mm-hmm. in three weeks, uh, Mercedes Monet will appear on AEW Dynamite. They don't do the countdown clock shit. Um, so because of this one line and because they aired it, they I think they did set some expectations that it would be Mercedes Monet in this match. Now they went and they said that Tony Storm was the partner. They they filled the slot. But would you have been shocked if the angle was instead Hikaru Shida outright turning heel, beating down Tony Storm backstage, we don't know who uh, Soraya's partner is going to be. Surprise, it's Mercedes Monet. 
Like that was, I actually thought that was a very possible thing that could have happened this past Wednesday. Um, and cutting the lights off right after the match, granted with Excalibur, you know, most of the TV audio being Excalibur running down cards. Um, I think that was also a mistake that really set up people to expect Mercedes to come out. And instead they did the, the run through for Rampage. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to cause any kind of real lasting damage to the company, but this was a goof. They, they goofed up and, uh, you know, that was to me a, a mistake, minor, but a mistake. I'm going to counter. I, I don't care. That's fair. Um, and the reason why I don't care is, yeah, um, in segment three on January 4th, um, Britt Baker drops the boss line. Okay. Now, obviously, she's planting a seed. Literally, less than an hour later, Soraya names Tony Storm her tag team partner. Yeah. Now, this to me tell, tells me two things. One, they thought they might have had a deal in place to get her, but then I think that they realized quickly that they didn't. Um, so, but they also, my guess is they have a deal for her to come in at some point. I believe the Bushi road contract is her, her first match back in the United States outside of WWE is going to be, um, the battle in the Valley in San Jose on February 18th. And I don't, I think the way that contract is structured, they don't want her wrestling before then. That is Probably. my guess. Um, and well, why would they, they, they got to sign her first because, um, exactly. the way that the way the contract, um, was done with WWE is she, she could she could negotiate with New Japan. Yeah. Yeah. She can negotiate with New Japan and Bushiro, but she cannot negotiate elsewhere. Well, if you debut her on the eleventh, that kind of raises some red flags. Yada yada bing bang. Plus Bushiro's gonna want that first match. Yes. They're paying her an exorbitant amount of money. Something they've never done with a female talent before. Um obviously Bushiro is relatively new to women's wrestling having just bought stardom within the past few years. But it's very noteworthy that they're paying um, Mercedes Monet this kind of money. Two, I, they literally told you in the same show that she wasn't coming. Like, I think we're extrapolating too much. Well, now you mentioned the CM Punk stuff. They announced the first dance, and then later on in the show, Darby Allen uh, lays all those little hints. Oh yeah, that he's coming. But but they announced the show and then did it. Like I and I think it's a completely different situation. I think they still think Monet is coming. It's a one-time thing, and they literally covered it up later. So I I think we're, we're overreacting to one little line, at least at this point. I, I here here's why it's the circumstances that make a mistake. If this past week they were in Topeka and there wasn't a, a mystery partner match, none of this would have mattered. But the fact that they did the hint, the mercy, that they dropped the Sasha Banks line a week before a show with a mystery partner, and yes, it was filled, but, you know, we've also, wrestling is littered with examples of uh, partners being announced and then some angle happening. And then it being in Los Angeles. This wasn't Lexington, Kentucky. This wasn't Charleston, West Virginia. This wasn't uh, Roanoke, Virginia, as I go through second-tier towns in my head. Ann Arbor, Michigan. It wasn't these places. It's just the fact, you know, the, the circumstances of it being a major market, like a super duper big market near where Mercedes would likely be hanging out or even living these days uh, with the hint and the mystery partner slot. I think that it was just a little too cute for their own good. 
Again, I don't think it caused any real damage to AEW. It's not like we're going to see their ratings drop off by a quarter next week or anything. Uh, but it, it just was uh, not... It wasn't the best idea, and they could have handled it better. And I, you know, I don't think that they're going to, like, there's going to be st- tons of Sasha, Sasha stands who uh, are going to angrily renounce AEW and never tune in again. But... I just think it was uh, a little too cute for their own good. Yeah, but the Sasha stands hated AEW before. What's well, now they'll like it because she's coming in. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but that—that's my thing. Like, I don't think angering the Sasha stands is really a big issue because they hated AEW already. The second she steps into this company, they're gonna uh, be all aboard the AEW train, and as long as she's treated well with the booking, we're not gonna have any issues. I, I just think we're overreacting to two words when they corrected it within the same show, telling you that the direction wasn't going to be Mercedes Monet for the January 11th tag match in LA. I, I, I we're over extrapolating here. Now, if they continue to lay any other hints and she never shows, well, that's a I'm different matter. I, I'm just saying for this one week, it was a mistake. If she had done that promo this coming week, would have been fine. If they had not had some mystery partner match, would have been fine. If they weren't a week out from Los Angeles, would have been fine. But all those things together, I think, makes it just not the smartest idea they had. It could have been done better? Yeah. Do that's I all give I'm a saying. Shit? No. But that's a different um, matter. The, <laughs> the, the reason that they had is because they thought they had her in, and from my perspective. They thought they had the, they thought they had the deal in place, and they thought that they were going to be able to bring her. And the second they weren't, like they, they announced the mystery partner, they didn't lead any any speculation to Monet until January fourth, and then on January fourth they still corrected it. Like I I just think it's it's we're trying to make uh, make excuses and we're trying to trying to place blame. I just I just don't think there's anything there. We're going in circles on this one. So you want to move on to Rampage? Yeah, let's move on to Rampage. This show kicked ass. Um, it was a buried, very good Rampage. We've, we've made fun of Rampage a lot. Um, Darby yeah. Allen versus Rock Hard and Juice Robinson. I'm That's just going to be my thing. I just love saying Rock Hard. It's just fun. Um, it is. Odie's like, what the hell are you doing, Dad? Sorry, buddy. Um, but no, this was a very good match. Um, a lot of back and forth. I loved like the... The Avalanche Destino Scorpion Death Drop gimmick that Darby that was Allen a fantastic used. setup, yeah. Oh, he used to set up the um, what should we call it? Um, the coffin drop yeah. and one, two, three. Awesome, awesome match. It look, I don't know what Juice Robinson is going to be for AEW, but I think there's some meat on the bone with him. Yeah, and this is a great way to start. Obviously, Sting comes out and celebrates with Darby Allen, and that that ends up being the match. But this is a really good four star match to start the show. I went three and three quarter, um, but I like this a lot. Uh, there's one move in this match that I really like, just because I like seeing people bust it out. And uh, Juice did a really good stomach buster in this, and that's not a move you really see all that much of these days. It feels like more of a 1980s uh, NWA, you know, Jim Crockett. It, uh, the maybe. juice box is something that uh yeah the uh, juice box he's, he's been doing for quite a while I, yeah. i'm gonna be honest i'm surprised excalibur didn't mention that it was called the juice box because that's a tremendous name it is a good name um but yeah i, I mean i just always like to see a stomach buster and it's cool that it's part of his moveset um but yeah like this good stuff no i agree completely um and then renee paquette introduced 
the acclaimed. The acclaimed had a, had a nice little uh, line about the Saudis. And then as they're about to put their hands in the cement, but it was silicone um, to put on the Hollywood walk fame, they get interrupted by the gun club and they pants the guns and push their asses into the mold. And it's just another perfect way um, that to cement that they are the ass boys. I thought this was, it, it, was it needed? No. Was it fun? Absolutely. Yeah, it was a little segment. It was a, it was fun. People were into it. They did a good job of editing around the botch of the uh, the entrance by Caster that apparently happened live. You, you would have had no idea just watching this. And uh, but yeah, it was totally fine. Yeah, um, look, it's Rampage. You want to get the acclaimed out in front of the fans. This is uh, an easy way to do it. Kings of the Black Throne, Brody King and Malachi Black with Julia Hart and Buddy Matthews versus Eddie Kingston and Ortiz. Not, not with uh, Buddy Matthews and Julia Hart at first. That was actually a big part of the match. No, that was a big part of the match. And um, Eddie just kept ignoring Ortiz. Um, and towards the end of the match, Buddy tries to come in with the chair. Eddie steps on it, um, ends up picking up the chair, turns around, and Julia Hart standing right there. And Ortiz uh, accuses him of wanting to hit a woman, and then they go back and forth. Malachi Black hits um, Black Mass on uh, Eddie Kingston. After Ortiz uh, ducks it. Yep. And bada-bing, bada-boom. Um, um, after the match, Malachi Black told Ortiz, you did good, kind of um, teasing some stuff. Look, I don't know where this Eddie Kingston-Ortiz stuff is going, but I hope it gets there fast because I'm already sick of it. <laughs> Yeah, this was just uh, this was a fine match. It was not bad by any stretch. I gave it three stars, but I thought there is a lot. It could have been a lot better without all the storytelling in it. Uh, but you know they're doing a story. Uh, I I still don't I I don't I still don't like the underlying storyline of this that Eddie Kingston and Ortiz have been friends for years and years, but it's all been shaken to the core because the House of Black did a spooky video. It's doesn't resonate with me it feels very dumb i'm just going to say it it's not it's got a dumb basis and we'll see where it goes from here it makes eddie kingston seem like an absolute idiot um which is never good to portray one of your characters as just that dumb uh i you know it i don't like this yeah i don't i don't like it either um but it seems that we're about done with it which is good Hopefully. um and then renee paquette interviewed golden global war winner paul walter hauser um i have no idea who this guy is but he won a golden globe for um best supporting actor um but what was really cool is this guy you could tell loves professional wrestling he delivered a pretty good promo in the ring and then when uh jeff jared jay lethal sat him singing sanjay duck come in he rips jeff jared for looking um like a woman in charge of a i think it was um charge fitness crunch fitness crunch fitness and then rips on him for telling him, hey, this isn't Memphis. Like You could tell this guy loved wrestling, yeah. makes fun of him for the guitar, and like, you bring this guitar out every week and you never play it. And then Jeff Jarrett hits him over the head with the guitar, which you just know this wrestling fan wanted to happen. And then out comes Orange Cassidy and the best friends to make the safe because Dan House was already in the ring. Look, I you can make fun of all these lower-level celebrities coming in here and doing stuff. This was fun. And you could tell that this guy loved wrestling. And to me, if you want to keep doing that kind of stuff, I'm all for it. Yeah, this was a fun segment. Um, I thought that uh, 
Hauser did pretty well. Um, and I thought, you know, I, one thing I particularly enjoyed in this was just Satnam Singh just trapping Dan House in the corner to neutralize him for the guitar shot. Uh, that just the visual, like this massive man trapping relatively small Dan House and with his head sticking out around him, that you know, it's kind of funny. Um, but I thought this was a solid segment. Uh, and there, you know, Jay Lethal despicably stole the uh, Golden Globe afterwards and. I think they're going to continue the storyline, and I don't think we've seen the last of uh, Mr. Hauser. I, I my guess is um, we haven't seen the the last of him either. Which I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm fine with it. Um, yeah. If a diehard wrestling fan um, being here sounds great to me. Um, then, lastly, we had the main event: Street Fight, Ruby Soho and Willow Nightingale versus um, TJS. This kicked ass. Um, these women beat the living shit out of each other. They used barbed wire. They used tacks. They used tables. Um, they used cement. Um, as uh, Willow Nightingale went for a uh, power oh, bomb on um, Anna J. Anna J. completely missed the table. Willow uh, broke it with her ass, and Anna J. just lands on the concrete. Look, that's we, oh what a brutal bump! But I'll, let me tell you. These women worked hard. They busted their ass. They wanted this to be great. And you know what? It was. It was brutal. There was reason behind the violence. And it worked within story. I gave this four stars. This was awesome. Um, this is exactly what you want from these people. Because yeah. Willow has a lot of potential. She, but she's got kind of that Bailey-esque baby face vibe. Ruby Soho is very up and down, but overall above average. And Anna Jay and, and Ty Mello are, they're a mixed bag, um, but they all worked incredibly hard and it paid off. Um, it even had um, my puppy Odie um, enthralled as he's uh, just sitting there watching these women beat the crap out of each other. It was, it was great. When you get my dog watching wrestling, that's, that's very impressive. Yeah, uh, I thought, I, I mean, I just really liked this match a lot. They just beat the hell out of each other. It was wild. Um, it was uh, it was really enjoyable, I thought. Um, you know, we had uh, just, you know, just the table spot alone was crazy. But I really liked the finish with uh, uh, Ty and uh, Ruby working together in the uh, ring for the blow-off. And uh, I thought they had a really nice sequence uh, once the thumbtacks came out, and it was just a wild match. Ruby's blade job was ridiculous. Uh, Muda scale, I, good. Oh, it was like a 0.7 out of 1 on the Muda scale, I think. Uh, just hell of a, just a lot of blood. <laughs> just a lot of blood. As, as soon as she started bleeding, there's just like drops on the mat on the outside. It's like, oh boy, this is, we're not fooling around, are we? No. This was this was really good. Yeah. Um, even even the botch, the the botch power bomb spot from Willow, which that table is set up in. It I mean, it looked like a, a good move. It just spot. looked like death. You know, like yeah. that's not how you want to take a bump. I hope she's okay. I assume she is, since I haven't heard anything on like Twitter. But that's just a hell of a a bump to take, man. That is an accidental botch that ends up actually being better. Because assuming she's not hurt, but yes, yeah. I fully well, agree. Obvi- 
a hundred percent. I'm glad you threw that caveat. We don't want anybody actually. Oh no. The the whole Uh, idea is to make it look like it hurts. And you know, when you do matches like this, you know, there's a little more lenience, you know, you're obviously working in a way that is going to hurt some, you know, same with like these chop mm -hmm. matches where you just lay into each other. Uh, But you know, it's still the idea is to not injure someone. And uh, hopefully, hopefully I, I assume everyone's walking away from this since this was uh, taped earlier this week. And uh, there hasn't been any news of any injuries. Uh, I do enjoy that Mark Henry just has to get in <laughs> his catchphrase before the main event. No promo this week, but my God, we're going to hear that it's time for the main event. Especially. Hey, you know what? I, I have to I have to read this. He said, "Well, it looks like these women are about to get violent." It's <laughs> cracked me up. God bless Mark Henry. Yeah. Hey, you know what? They're giving him a bunch of money. You might as well get every dime you can out of it. Yeah. Um, this was overall really good show, but I thought what was the most noteworthy was at the end, Ruby Soho uh, after really blowing off Willow Nightingale the first couple times that they not wanting to partner with together. her, but like I need a partner. Gave her the fist bump, uh, mm-hmm. like the sign of acknowledgement, like and respect, and I I think that's going to be important as as time goes on in this company because little things like that matter. They and do. Willow has made a friend and an ally, and that's going to be really important as she continues to ascend the ladder here in all elite wrestling. But Fred, th- I think that's going to do it for our show today. Yeah. Um, we do have a couple matches already announced for Dynamite: Jake Hager versus Ricky Starks and Bandio versus Brian. Danielson. That and we had great. We had one more match announced at the end of Rampage. I don't know yeah. if you caught this. The Young Bucks versus Top Flight. I missed Sign that actually. I did miss that. Up. But yeah, Sign I'm looking forward to that. I hope Top Flight wins and you get Top Flight and AR Fox versus um, oh, that'd be good. the Elite for the trio titles. And that to me is a pay per view quality match. Just, oh, yeah. Hey, go open the show, do stupid shit for 20 minutes. Hello. <laughs> Uh, wrestling, you're great. Uh, we do get to see if Jake Hager will, in fact, slap the face off of Ricky Starks' face. Um, and, I hope Ricky uh, Starks steals it, the hat and wears it around like a like a title belt. Uh, you know, there's. I think they're going to have a very entertaining match. I don't think it's going to be great by any stretch, but you know, you get three stars out of this, you know, and have some fun along the way. That's okay. But yeah, uh, this was a great week of wrestling. I hope next week can even be close to it. This is like a once in a lifetime streak of television right here this past week. Uh, but just a blast, total blast. No, a hundred percent total blast. And with that, that is our show. You can find us on Twitter at good, bad hungry. You can find me on Twitter at the real forno. And you got anything to plug Tyler? I'm going to, I'm going to ruin the promo, but you got anything to plug? (laughs) Well, I'm doing that right now. Um, yeah. But you writing anything new, any new articles? Oh, um, I'm writing stuff every day. I, um, it, we're recording this Saturday morning, and I've already put up, I think, eight different things for the Vikings Wire. Um, a lot of what I do is kind of like I take like little little bits, aggregate them, and add my own personal spin to it. So it's not like, hey, it's it's not like you're just reading something that just somebody just that um, eats and then takes a shit. I, I try to add like uh, my own touch to it, my own analysis, which with football is a little bit easier to do than other forms of aggregation. Um, and then I also have all my NFL draft stuff coming out. Um, I have already, I already have finalized scouting reports on 17 total players. Um, I'm I, it's 14 wide receivers and three cornerbacks. I'm it's a Vikings focus. So I'm do I'm doing positions first that the Vikings need and are going to prioritize likely in the draft. So I'll outright ask it. Weren't you on the, weren't you on something with the New York post this week? 
Yes. This is um, what I was trying to set up for you, and you're just sandbagging me here. Hardcore Holly. Listen, Royal this Rumble was, bullshit this, over here. <laughs> this was a few days ago, but yeah, it was really cool. Um, the New York Post and SNY, which is like a New York City specific version of ESPN, they invited me on to do like a little six minute uh, video spot um, talking about the Vikings and Giants game. They invited me to do before the Christmas Eve matchup as well. And um, you can't see it because uh, we're not doing video for this show, but the hair, um, the guy Brandon loves the hair and the fact that I kind of look like a real Viking. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, but I, I guess I'm I'm getting popular and famous in the sports community, which is never a bad thing. There we go. Trying to get your plug in, and you're just like, just dump it all over it, man. Come on. Listen, I I, I, for it. I try I try to be modest and I don't I don't try to brag too much. Gotta get uh, your ass public. over. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, make sure that uh if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to our personal podcast feed, the good, the bad, and the hungry. Um, we appreciate everybody who's listening on the voice of wrestling feed, but in order to continue to help us grow, subscribing to our single feed is going to be the best way to do so. And also by throwing us a five-star rating and giving us positive review. Tell your um, friends. Absolutely. Um, uh, I, I do hope you enjoy the show. And if you uh, let your friends know, you know, word of mouth is the best way to uh, spread a uh, word about something. So, Yeah. Have you heard that jackass Tyler with Fred uh, talk about AEW? It's a good show. Um, yeah. I do want to plug, plug one thing for myself uh, this coming week. I am finishing up my look at cage match match ratings to see who had the best entering year, uh, according to math. And attempt to do that. Uh, I'm finishing that up, and uh, that should be out probably by Tuesday, I think, if everything goes well. Maybe Wednesday. On VoicesOfWrestling.com. Speaking of Voices of Wrestling, um, match of the year ballots are coming. I've already come out. Um, the voting will be finalized on the 22nd, something that I still need to submit. But I've been so busy with Viking stuff that I have not been able to do so yet. Um, make sure you uh, check that out. Now we're gonna we're gonna go through the whole plugs again. So yeah, do it, do it. I don't care if you're twice. I ain't editing it out because I'm lazy. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at GoodBadHungy. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Forno. You can follow also follow me at the Vikings Wire, where all of my football content comes out. You can follow Fred at Fragrant Wrestling, and that is Ted Turner's Wrestling, not Vince's Wrestling. Um, and then you can also follow all of our written work for Voice of Wrestling at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Please give us a five-star rating and review. And please, if you are listening in the Voice of Wrestling podcast feed, to go find our feed, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy, and subscribe there so we can help continue to grow the show. Patreon. The I've started yeah, a Patreon. Yeah. Uh, Flagrant Wrestling. Uh, starting to write there. Going to get some stuff up this week. Mm-hmm. You can find that in the show notes as well. Um, and then if you like Vikings football or football in general, we're going to start um, The Real Forno Show, Monday night, 6 p.m., on the Climbing the Pocket YouTube channel, it's littered all over my my Twitter feed. So you can go ahead and follow me there, and you can see all my stuff. Um, if you love NF, the NFL draft, we're going to transition to doing Mock Draft Mondays and talking nothing but prospects. It's going to have a Vikings focus. But even if you don't love the Vikings, you can listen and still have a lot of fun, and we are interactive with the comments. Other than that, enjoy a weekend of playoff football. We will be back on Thursdays will be our new drop time because we are going to try to stay even more current for you in terms of all elite wrestling. In the meantime, have yourself a great weekend and skull Vikings. Have a good one.
Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host for You've Got to Be Kidding Me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and Liam will do bits and whatnot.